Hi, everybody, and welcome to Seven Innings Podcast. I'm Amanda Scarborough, and today on the show, we also have Michelle Smith, Kayla Bro, Madison Shipman, Jenny Dalton-Hill, and Danielle Laurie, who just recently got inducted into the Pac-12 Hall of Honor. All right, today on the show, we'll be recapping the Judy Garman tournament. We'll dive into the SEC and um, talk about how they start conference play this weekend, as well as the Pac-12. Um, talk a little bit about the Big Ten and do a mid-major roundup. Discuss our thoughts on the length of games and what should or shouldn't be changed about it. We'll, of course, shag some stats and we'll do a little mailbag at the end. Leading off at the top of the lineup is the Judy Garman recap. Uh, didn't get to see a lot of these games on our TV screens because I think only Fullerton's games were broadcasted, but there were some really good games out on the West Coast. UCLA p- seemed to play well. They went 5-0. and Oregon went 4-1. and A team that stuck out to me, you guys, is LSU. I mean, they are off to such a good start this season and had a good tournament. Um, also won all of their games out in California. Now they're 20 and one on this season. I think Jenny, when I think about this LSU team, they're really young, they're really talented. And I kind of feel like a big difference for them is that they just shored up their defense. The left side of their infield with Taylor Pleasance and Danica coffee just seemed to be just so much more locked down on the left-hand side and they're winning close games. They're playing more consistently in all parts of the games and or in all parts of the game. And even when they give up runs in games, they're still finding ways to win and score more. But um, that that's, you know, something that stuck out to me about the Judy Garman classic. I'm curious, Jenny, for you, uh, what stuck out on the on the West Coast? Well, when it comes to LSU, I think you're exactly right. Not only is defense better, but also situational hitting for them. They came away with some really big wins against LMU and Cal Poly coming from behind to come away with those wins. Taylor Pleasance has improved her batting average this year by 60 points, already eight home runs on the season. She only had 12 home runs last year. That more consistent defense has just given LSU a chance to out hit what they've been able to do um, defensively. And some other bright spots. You mentioned UCLA unblemished this this year at the Judy Garmin. But another team that stood out to me for having a really good weekend was Oregon. They went four and one on the weekend. They did lose to Minnesota, but they only got two hits off Autumn Peace. And so that was more an offensive kind of quagmire where they couldn't find their bats. They start Pac-12 play this week against Washington There were some teams, though, Amanda, that have me a little bit worried that kind of threw up a caution sign. And one of those for me was Minnesota. So they're they're 11 and eight, but they went three and two in the tournament. Those three wins came on the back of Autumn Peace in the circle. And I'm worried about their pitching staff. Are they going to have enough to push their way? further into conference play, not really having a number two that's able to shut people down. So JC Hambrick is that number two, a transfer over from Grand Canyon. She's been expected to fill some really big shoes. Emily Levitt gone this year in the pitching staff. Were there any other teams that um, threw up warning flags for you, Amanda? You know, I, I was shocked when I looked, when I saw Fullerton's record. Um, coming away from the weekend because I feel like Fullerton is such a strong team and they were in almost every game this weekend. And so they had that 11 inning, I think it was lost to Minnesota and Micah Sutherland, you guys pitched about 
200 pitches in this game. I couldn't believe it. I kept looking at the, the bug in the top left-hand um, corner of my screen. I'm like, wait, is that right? It was like 189, 190. And so they ended up losing that game. But Fullerton definitely sticks out to me as a team that I think that other teams should worry about moving forward. Um, I think that they have their fair share of losses too, but I think that Fullerton moving forward is going to be a team that that can beat anybody. What did you see out of Fullerton? I'm curious. Did you, did you anything catch your eye? I'm worried about their defense. They need error-free defense to come away with a lot more wins. They are they have a good team ERA at 1.73, and you mentioned it. Micah Sutherland's a big part of that. But only six games this year out of their 20 games have not had an error. So errors have definitely plagued them. And then another team that I'm worried about is Michigan. They are 10-10 and 10 on the year, but right now they need run production. They were one and four last weekend against Boise State, Nevada, and Stanford. They lost twice to, but I'm worried. My concerns for them is their batting average. They were low scoring games for them in the Judy Garman Classic. They only scored seven runs in five games. They lost to LSU and UCLA. So those are actually wins or losses I'm okay with. But my, I'm worried that they do not have the run production to push them very far through Big Ten and when it comes to the long ball, they've got five team home runs, four of them by Kiki Thole. So they need to have more players step up and put the ball deep into the field. I feel like this is like a consistent theme recently with Michigan is that we always talk about their lack of offense, so to speak, that they rely on their pitching, rely on their defense, rely on more of a low scoring game to pull out wins. So um, we'll see if Michigan can maybe find some offense and um, and start to put some things together. Uh, Michelle, what do we have next? Awesome. Good, good uh, recap of what was going on at the Judy Garmin. We're going to roll down to spot number two, and we're going to talk about some SEC pitching dominance. Uh, Kayla, I'm excited to dive into this, obviously. Um, and uh, the the first uh, the, the first team I'm going to talk about will make you uh, happy, I'm sure, is uh, Alabama and Montana Fouts. She had an outstanding weekend. Um, I think, Kayla, for me, what was so impressive is that she's now thrown 25 straight scoreless innings and that beats her previous career best of 24 consecutive innings and that was back in 2021 she's just 35 strikeouts away from hitting mark number 1000 in her career um and, and but i think as as good as montana fouts was over the weekend throwing a perfect game as i think that jayla uh, Torrance show, throwing the no hitter was key because the question has always been who is going to back up montana um you know, so this is, I think, a very important question that needs to to be answered. What, what's your take on this, Kayla? Yeah, well, first of all, I think you're right. I think for Jayla Torrance, that no-hitter was so important because she needs confidence going into SEC play. They need a number two. They need somebody that's going to step up behind Fouts. And that could be a turning point in someone's season. I know they're not playing the toughest competition this weekend, Michelle, but you're a pitcher. You know this. It's always hard no matter who you play no matter when the game is doesn't matter if it's at the world series or it's in a midweek it's still tough to throw a perfect game or a no hitter so credit to Torrance and Fouts for really showing up and showing out when a lot of people doubted them Montana didn't start her best at the beginning of this year I think she's just finding her rhythm now which is really exciting the other thing that stood out to me is that I thought she effectively sprinkled in the off-speed pitch this weekend. That's something that we haven't seen out of her. She didn't throw it a ton, but it's coming in about 58, 59 miles an hour, and she's throwing 70 when she's not throwing that pitch. So she can't throw it that often because it's too hittable that at that speed. So she just got to sprinkle it in. She did a nice job against Longwood with that. And 
you know, we're talking about no hitters. How about Carlin Pickens for Tennessee also throwing a no-no this weekend, the freshman. Michelle, I thought she was really good this weekend. She's confident. Maddie, you talked about this last week. She throws with authority as a freshman. She can hit 70 miles an hour. She can sprinkle in the changeup. She's not afraid to go under the hands with her rise ball, really hit somebody hard inside on the hands with the screw. I like that confidence, Michelle. Yeah, absolutely. Her ability to control the zone, I think, is big. And it's interesting because we talk about how good Alabama was, but they're middle of the pack. When you look at the ERAs for the SEC, number one ERA in the conference is Tennessee. They're at a .61. Auburn just behind them at a, a one ERA. So so there's a lot of good arms in the SEC. And I'm kind of excited to see who shows up. Now, we talk a lot about the hitters these days, but is the pitching dominance back within the SEC? So I know we know that Tennessee has it. And, and oh, by the way, how often do you talk about Tennessee and not mention Ashley Rogers? By the way, there's also Ashley Rogers. Her ERA is outstanding as well. She's got 52 Ks to just six base on balls. And that's really the key for me is that Tennessee as a team has just 13 walks on the season. The other team that we talked about, Auburn, with a very low ERA, just 15 walks on the season. So obviously there is a, a big correlation between how many, I talk about all the time, right? The whip uh, walks and hits per innings pitch. So, so big. All right. Well, we also, I think uh, Kayla need to talk about LSU. Um, they've been doing an outstanding job. Uh, they did a great job, obviously out in California. Um, I'm excited to see them play South Carolina this weekend. Cause this is an LSU team that um, has not stubbed their toe very much. They have got a great record. They're going into South Carolina who was also 19 and two. So this is, um, this is going to be a big weekend. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. I think Kentucky, Missouri is a big uh, matchup this weekend. Um, Auburn, UGA. I, I like that one, right? You talk about the pitching staff. You always talk about the bats, the ball flies, and Athens. What else are you looking for, Kayla? Yeah, well, I want to zone in on that Auburn versus Georgia matchup because we talked about the Auburn pitching staff right now. They're fourth in ERA. They're first in their strikeout to walk ratio in the country, but their strength of schedule is in the 200s, you guys. They have not been tested yet. George is going to test them for sure this weekend. An offense that's so explosive that can hit the ball out of the park. They've got 32 home runs this year. So this is going to be a really great test for Maddie Penta in the circle, who's the leader for Auburn, for Annabelle Weidra and Shelby Lowe for that three-headed monster for Auburn that they've got going on right now. And then I've also got my eye on Arkansas and Texas A&M. Texas A&M might sneak up on Arkansas. They've got a great pitching staff. Amanda knows this. I mean, she's pumped about her Aggies, but they're a team that could really challenge this Arkansas Razorbacks team. Awesome. Well, there you go. That's an update on the SEC. Amanda, what do you got next? Yeah, great stat about Emily Kennedy for Texas A&M is against ranked opponents. Her ERA is like 0.31. So Emily Kennedy, the left-handed pitcher for Texas A&M, I just happen to know that stat because I asked her SID because it seemed like she could really pitch well against them. So sometimes you just have random numbers in your head. Okay, moving number three in the lineup card. ACC starts, um, they started conference play last weekend. They'll continue on this weekend with more teams in action. Last weekend, there was a really good series between Duke and Notre Dame in which Duke clinches series with the walk-off home run hit by Anna Gold. That was such a good series. Um, North Carolina State and Virginia Tech also played last weekend. Virginia Tech swept North Carolina State, um, but also something to note about North Carolina State. Last Thursday, after we were 
recorded the podcast, North Carolina State Relief, they relieved their head coach, Jennifer Patrick Swift, of duties. So um, at the time, North Carolina State had a record of five and 10. So definitely some turmoil happening uh, in that program. And obviously never a good sign when you're making a coaching change four weeks into the season. But ACC conference play gets hot and heavy this weekend, you guys. And um, I am curious, Danielle, where's your attention in the ACC? Um, It doesn't go without saying, like, Clemson, they are a team every single year where you just hope they can push past the threshold and get to Oklahoma City, right? Like they still are a fairly new team, but at the end of the day, like Valerie Cagle is that player. She's that player on both sides of the ball. Um, the fact that she's hitting 516 with eight home runs on the year, like, but it, for me, it's all about like, how can you use your experience, your short amount of experience to help get you to a point? to push you past the super regional. And to me, that's what this team is all about. They have a, a great coach and um, uh, Ritman at the helm, but at the end of the day, it's like every single outing for this squad is about gaining experience to put them in a position when they get to postseason to do some damage. And you look at last year and obviously the struggle was real. They were going up against Oklahoma state in a super regional that had a chance to make the national championship game. So Kelly Maxwell and Oklahoma state was on a mission But I think in all reality for Clemson, like those are the teams that you have to be able to beat back to back games if you want to get to the to the first ever Women's College World Series for Clemson softball. So at the end of the day, for me and Clemson, are they a team that I believe can do it? I think Millie Thompson and Valerie Cagle really complement each other so well. Valerie being 70 to 72 uh, down in the zone and Millie crafty lefty um, and very spinny. So I think if those two can really just through ACC play, have each other's back, but also give Cagle a little bit of rest. So maybe she is a little bit more fresh heading into postseason. But Maddie, what do you got? Uh, well, I wanted to piggyback on Clemson because one thing that I think is underrated for their team is the way that they play defense behind their pitchers. It, it, they've got a veteran offense or a veteran defense out there, and I think they fly all across the field. They're making diving catches. So I think that's something that I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on for Clemson. Um, when I look at a team like Virginia Tech, we've been talking about the hot bats. And, and guys, maybe I'm being too sim- simplistic with this, but I think that there's something to be said for having so many veterans in your offense. When you look at their starting nine, six of their nine, are juniors or seniors. And I think that they have progressively gotten better year after year after year. You see the confidence when they step into the box. And that's why they've been producing home runs at such a consistent clip this year. So they're definitely a team that I'm going to be watching too. But Amanda, you mentioned that Duke Notre Dame series. It was so good. And I think what was really great too is in game one where Notre Dame actually came out with the win. It was on a gold that made the last out in that game. And she got her chance in game three to come through with the game winning hit. And she ended up with the big walk off. Um, so I think that was really cool for to see somebody learn from their experiences from the previous game and then be able to come through for their team and ultimately get that series win in the ACC. But Danielle, is there anybody else that really catches your eye in the ACC? Well, I mean, to me, it's just going back to VTech. Like you talk about the experience they have in the lineup, but as far as experience that they have in the circle, they don't have Akili Rochard. So Emma Lemley is the one. And when I look at the fact that they're 14 and four on the season and three out of those four losses, Emma Lemley was nowhere to be found. I don't know if that's a strategic gameplay by Pete Demore of saying like, hey, these are the teams that we have to beat when we get down to the wire. And we know that Emma Lemley is a pitcher that's going to pitch a bulk of the innings. I mean, she threw... 
216 pitches, 24 Ks and seven hits she gave up to NC State. So for me, it's about being able to give those other pitchers experience because at the end of the day, you all know, like once you get to the postseason, you can't rely on just one arm. You need to be able to have experience for those other pitchers. But their pitching staff is young and not as experienced without Akili Rochard. So I don't know how they're going to hold up once they uh, get into the postseason. I do think that Lemley did a lot of work, though, working on keeping her back foot on the ground, because I know that was a problem last year. I think she's done substantial work to help fix that going into the season, which gives them a lot of promise moving forward. Are you guys really going to bury the lead that Florida State and Oklahoma State play each other in Stillwater? Uh, so I didn't want to steal your thunder because I had that written down on my notes, but I was like, oh man, I know that that big 12 section is coming up. So I know that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm giving that to you. That's um, my to you, Amanda. You guys, that's going to be a really good one. Michelle, what do we have next? Awesome. Well, we're going to roll down into the four spot, the cleanup, and we're going to talk a little bit about our games. Are they too long? Um, I'll go first on this emphatically. Yes, they're getting too long. I think that we need to do something. Okay. And Danielle, um, I, I think it is interesting. Some of the speed of the pace of play on the international game, um, things, rule changes that have been helpful. Um, and, and not that I think this is the, one of the biggest one, but three pitches in between innings for pitchers. I don't think we need to go there. I think most importantly is a pitch clock and hitters having to stay in the box, at least one foot in the box. I think if we implemented either both of those, or at least one of those rules, I think it would make a, a, a definite difference. What do you, what do you think, Danielle? Yeah, you were, you were one of the first people when I saw this in the lineup card because of the international and having that 22nd, uh, shot clock game clock, but it was really interesting because I remember going to the Olympics and playing team USA. That was kind of right out of the shoot. And like, I could not get in pace with that clock. So for me, it was like my heart rate was so high and only having 20 seconds, but it does make the pace of play quicker, but I feel like you have to train to understand how to do it. So it's being able to call timeouts when you need to, to take a breather, to take that second, but the games are they are too long. So I think being able to make those minor changes and if you work on it, it becomes natural. It's not hard to learn how to pitch in 20 seconds. We don't need all this outside flair and all this bopping and, and trying to connect with everyone. Let's get back to the basics of the game and just try to speed it up because I don't think three hour games for seven innings should be happening. It's interesting. You guys, I put out a tweet about this and I Genuinely, you guys, I did not expect it to be so controversial. Like when I tweeted that I wasn't like looking to like, like just poke the bear about, I, I genuinely wasn't, but I put out a tweet about the games being long and maybe making some changes, like keep, keep, keeping your foot in the box. And then pitchers are going all the way back to second base in between. And we have right now the 10, 10, five rule that an umpire is supposed to keep the pace of play up. So really just 25 seconds in between each pitch, but it's not really enforced. Sometimes it's 35 seconds, close to 40 seconds in between pitches because an umpire, let's face it, they just have too many things going on. But um, I was shocked with the response from fans, Maddie, that they were like, don't touch the game. We shouldn't do anything. Like they were upset with me about this. And little do they know, like, this is all stuff that we're talking about on an every weekend, everyday basis with each other to help keep the game moving and make it not two hours and 45 minutes, not three hours. That's not a rarity of a game anymore. That's happening at least once a weekend for a team really. So Madison, what are your thoughts on it? I'm all for it. And I think that, yes, the game has gone a certain way, but I think the games have just gotten so long. I think I joke with you, Amanda, that it takes sometimes players so long 
long to get the signs. They look down at the sign. They're reading this enormous thing on their arm, and then they get onto the, to the rubber, and then they finally pitch the ball. I think it creates a much slower rhythm. And I don't know about you guys, but I like to work at a really fast rhythm. So if I had the option to not even step out of the box, I was not stepping out of the box because I wanted to put the pressure on the pitcher to kind of speed them up. But I think it's interesting, and I know I'm going to – maybe ruffle some feathers by bringing this up here, but the MLB has introduced a pitch clock this year and it's 15 seconds from the time that the pitcher receives the ball that they have to get rid of it. Now it is really fast and it is an adjustment. That's what they're using spring training for, but it's all about speeding up that pace of play. And I think that that's something that our game could benefit from as as well. Well, and I've seen it actually implemented in division one baseball. I've been to baseball games collegiately and they're implementing these clocks that are changing the pace of play. And I actually appreciate it as a fan. I can't stand a batter walking away and a pitcher taking their time. I want to see direct movement. I want to see intentional play and keeping a foot in the box speeds up the game. I also, one of the things think that I would like to see is an earpiece in the catcher's ear. So it's a quicker relay into the catcher, give to the pitcher and the game absolutely takes off. I think, I think the bottom line and you're right, Jenny, all the things that we're suggesting None of them affect the integrity of the game. They don't change fundamentally what is amazing and pure and awesome about our sport. And so that's what fans, I think, need to wrap their heads around. We're not trying to make it not fun or we're not trying to make it less of a fan experience. All the things that we're trying to do are trying to make it faster, quicker, more efficient. So that way we can put more games on television that these kids also like, I don't know about you guys. When I was a player, I didn't want to play a four hour long game. Your body's tired. You got double headers, potentially. There's so many things that we can do that are going to help benefit not only the fans and the enjoyment of the game, but also the players, but not detract from our sport. And that's the beauty of how we can speed this game up. And I think all your guys' suggestions are just like spot on. And if the MLB and, and college baseball is also doing the, uh, run run rule in the seventh inning like everybody wants shorter games we're all going in that direction so I think we got to get on board yeah I think it's only a matter of time before um changes are, are implemented with honestly with the, I don't even think it's a five-year thing I think it's within the next couple of years Michelle I I agree change 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 right we uh, gotta have it gotta have it <laughs> all right we're moving I was down sing and then I thought you guys don't want to hear me sing so we just you know <laughs> We always want to hear you sing. What are you talking about? If there's ever a chance for that, which I didn't even know that was a possibility, but you go for it. <laughs> nope, not happening. <laughs> All right. Moving down to number five, talking about the big 12, um, Kentucky and Oklahoma played this past weekend. Oklahoma won both. One of those games was 18 to nothing. Game two was closer at seven to one. Um, also within the big 12, Anum and Baylor played this past weekend, split their two games, two really close, low scoring games. But Michelle, when you're looking at the big 12 this week, where's your attention going? Well, well, I think it has to go to Oklahoma um, and how they have dominated and what they're doing uh, with their batting average, a team batting average over 390, a team ERA, ERA um, under one. They have jumped up uh, into one of the, the top uh, ERAs in the country as well. So I, I think that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to start to be challenged now. They've got um, southeastern Louisiana, Mississippi State, Omaha. Um, but I think what is going to be very interesting is that they will also play Florida State on March 14th after Florida State. State plays at 
Oklahoma State. So I think that um, Oklahoma State went to Tallahassee last year. So now uh, Florida State is coming into Oklahoma State into Stillwater. I am keen to watch that matchup. I can't wait to see uh, Kelly Maxwell, um, Catherine Sandercock. I mean, that is going to be a great showdown. Um, you know, both those clubs are really strong. Oklahoma State, again, one of the uh, top teams in the um in the big 12. Um, but I think one of the teams that's kind of been under the radar a little bit is Texas. They have just really been doing a good job of pitching well um, and hitting well. They've got an ERA that is just under two as a team. They've got a batting average that's at uh, over 380. And, um, and you know, and they're hitting the ball. I think that's the other thing too. They have 20 home runs on the season. Uh, so I, I think that Texas is probably going to um, surprise a couple folks. And, and Kayla, I know you're going to love this and you'll be paying attention, but Alabama will be heading over to uh, Austin uh, and we'll be playing against Texas March 10th and 11th. Um, I think the other team we spoke about a couple of episodes ago because they knocked off Oklahoma is Baylor. Um, and I think that uh, they're going to be out in California. And I think this will be a good challenge for them. They're at 17 and two. Um, uh, Dariana Orms got a, uh, ERA under one, still very, very strong, a team batting average of almost 360. They're going to be playing Fullerton, Long Beach State, Boston, Columbia, LMU. So, you know, they'll be challenged out there. But, you know, this is a this is a conference that I think is on the up and up and they have been over the last couple of years. So it's 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 going to be a fun weekend for them. Where, what are you thinking, Amanda? Yeah, Um I'm just trying to think about where to start I, just to, to build off of Oklahoma and just how incredible they are. I mean, they're hitting 320 with two strikes. And so when watching them play a team, a strong team like Kentucky, it was close at the very beginning, but Oklahoma just continues to have these really big, powerful innings, like where they put up five runs, seven runs, and they do it with two strikes and two outs. And then all of a sudden there's a five spot on the board and they can just suffocate a team so quickly, even when you think you're out of the inning. Um, but besides just their talent and ability, um, I also think about the new faces in the big 12 with all the transfers and the freshmen, you mentioned Texas, Michelle, they're young and talented and they still have Mia Scott, who's just a sophomore, but Viviana Martinez and Leanne Good and Ashton Maloney, they're all their, their top hitters and they're freshmen, they're new faces. And there are four hitters hitting above 400 um, and all of them are underclassmen. And then I also think about for Oklahoma State, new faces for them, Rachel Becker, and then also three freshmen behind her who are at the top of their, their team batting average that are really pacing the way. So when I think of the Big 12, I think of new faces, new transfers, new freshmen coming out and are just making a big scene, especially, I mean, Jocelyn Erickson of Oklahoma, just a freshman. Um, also wanted to give Texas Tech some love. They're off to a really good start with Craig Snyder. They're hitting a lot of home runs and stealing a lot of bases. So a team that we don't get to talk about a lot, but Craig Snyder, first year head coach has done a good job with that program, Michelle. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good roundup of the um, the Big 12. So why don't we go ahead and roll into the sixth spot and do a little bit of updating on the pack and where they're going. I think that um, it's going to be an exciting weekend as they start conference play. UCLA Cal will be matching up. Arizona, Arizona State, that's always epic. And then Oregon and Washington, Oregon State takes on Utah. Uh, Stanford, ironically is um has the pass this weekend they're going to be going out to which wichita state and we know they can bop the ball but um what are you guys thinking kayla danielle what are you looking for uh this week in the pack well first and foremost i could not be more excited that we're going to have a pac 12 tournament because i was always so jealous back in the day that we never got to experience that um 
And it was always interesting because we'd head into Pac-10 play, but it's Pac-12 now. And like that was the time where you knew that your stats were going to go down. So they were padded in preseason play. But now with pedal to the metal right out of the gate, like these you're struggling from the beginning to the end at times with facing uh, such good competition. But I mean, this is UCLA's to run away with. They're a team that for the most part on paper should win the Pac-12 outright with talent, experience, what they have. Um, we all know they're led by Maya Brady and just every single year, I feel like she just brings this new sass and uniqueness. And not only is she just one of the best hitters on the team, leads the team in ribbies and home runs, but it's the fact that she primarily played outfield last year and we've seen her been playing shortstop. Um, and, and so it just goes to show how important she is offensively, but on both sides of the ball for this team. But the player that I circled the most for UCLA is Charlize Palacios, because not only is she second in home runs on this team, so that's a heck of a pickup for them in the transfer portal, but what I think she's been able to do behind the dish to just calm the pitchers, to connect with the pitchers is number one. And you guys all know, you witnessed the World Series last year. Like if UCLA wants to make a big push, it's not all on Megan Framo. We saw it last year. She had the opportunity to try to do it and it didn't work in her favor. So the fact that now she has a Brooke Yanez, the transfer from Oregon, that really can complement her. The fact that she can go 70 up to then a Yanez that can spin it up and down. I think they really have to figure out that pitching duo that they can get um, to just put them in a good spot to win this thing. Because like I said, they're the team outright that's supposed to win it and they should. And I'm going to flip it before I pass it to Kayla. And I'm going to talk just a little bit about Cal. So this is a big weekend for Cal. This is a second season for Chelsea Spencer at the helm of the Cal Bears, number 33 in RPI, which I think is a really big deal for that program. Because to me, Cal has been a team that, hasn't been a force to be reckoned with like they used to be back when we played. So the fact that they are that high in the RPI, they're 16 and four on the season. I mean, they have good three solid arms. Um, and at the end of the day, it's, it's going to come down to being able to snipe some games that maybe you shouldn't, right? Going into a weekend of UCLA, getting a, a win or two is only going to help push them in a better place, moving into the rest of pack and hopefully postseason. Uh, Kayla. What are you thinking? Uh, well, I have my eyes on that matchup in Tempe this weekend, Arizona versus Arizona State. And I think that's such an important rivalry that's going to carry the pack when UCLA departs and goes to the Big Ten. So I think that's one that I just want to I want that to build and heat up. And uh, ASU is kind of sneakily doing really well this season. They can hit the ball. And obviously they you knew they were going to be a little bit depleted when Sid Sanders and Alina Torres left for Oklahoma. So we kind of, I doubted them. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was like, ah, kind of wrote them off in some ways and said, they're not going to be as good this year, but that's not the case. And it's big thanks to not only veterans like Yanni Acuna that are hitting 475 with seven home runs this season and doing their job. Like she's such a good hitter. Gosh, I love watching her play. She's got a sweet swing, everybody. Um, But also shout out to Jordan Van Hook leads the country with 13 home runs, but guys, she didn't play early in her career. She's a senior. She's been on the team since 2020. She played in 56 games before this year. She waited her time. She got better. She grinded it out. And here she is leading the country in home runs. And, And those are the kind of stories that I love. You know, sometimes it always doesn't happen right away when you're a freshman sometimes it takes to your senior year for to really click and obviously it's clicking for Jordan Van Hook uh, on the other side of things Danielle I wanted to ask you this because I look at Arizona and that first weekend they played they look so strong 
like dominant in all facets of the game. But now as I continue to watch them play, Devin Nets is just throwing more and more innings and the gap between her innings pitch and the rest of the team is just getting wider. Uh, what do you think about that? Because I look at it and I think, man, they've got to get some more help because Devin Nets isn't going to be able to get him through Pac-12 play. Well, and you think last year she struggled with injuries, right? So she didn't get as much time as maybe you normally would see her, but I'm with you. It ultimately is going to come down to teams that have a solid one, two, three punch. And it's about being able to pick and choose when you're able to get pitchers on staff that good experience. All teams know who their aces are, but I think once you're in Pac-12 play and conference play, like it's it's harder. It is a tit for tat, a punch for punch. You're you're gonna win and lose games that maybe you shouldn't, but it's all about gaining experience. And I think Nets needs a little bit of help for sure. All right, that's a Pac-12. Let's go down to number seven on the lineup card, talking about the Big Ten and a have a mid-major roundup. Uh, Big Ten won't start conference play this weekend, but Nebraska is on a ten-game win streak. Wichita State is on an eleven-game win streak and kept it going, even though they played without Addison Barner this past weekend. Um, Jenny, what do you between the Big Ten and the mid-major, where, where's your attention? I tell you what, this is a lot to cover in one area. So we're going to try to go through it really quick. But Nebraska, for me, and the Big Ten is that team that I have the star next to. They had a big win over Arizona this past week in Tucson. Seven extra base hits in that game. Four home runs. Billy Andrews, Ava Breadwell, Caitlin Kaneda, and Brooke Andrews. Big home run swings in that win over Arizona. Who else do you have your eye on, Maddie? Uh, you know, there's a team that I'm watching is actually going to be Rutgers and it's interesting I know Big Ten play hasn't started yet but when you look at the Big Ten standing as far as what they've done in the preseason when you see teams like Northwestern and Michigan and Michigan State at the bottom and you see these other teams up at the top it kind of makes you you look twice at it Um, but when I'm looking at Rutgers and what they've been able to do and they've got seven batters in their offense that are batting over 300 two of which are batting over 400 and one player for them their leadoff batter Kylie Sand is batting 552 and Kayla this is where I'm going to bring you in here because she's one of those crafty lefties but what's interesting about the way that she approaches her bunts from the left side typically you see slappers like crossover right but she almost does this shuffle in the box so I'm curious from a slapper perspective where do you think that gives her an advantage because obviously it's working with her 552 batting average yeah first of all with the bunt when she's she's kind of doing like an inchworm step up so I think the key is it's deceptive for the defense because her first motion with that front right foot goes forward like you would when you swing away. It doesn't move backwards. And that's the telltale sign really quickly for a defense to recognize, is she slapping, bunting, or is she hitting? So when that foot moves forward, it just makes the defense hesitate a little bit longer. Then she moves her back foot forward, inches it up, puts her square position and her hands into that bunt form. And that's where she's just trying to add a little extra layer of deception. And she's trying to get her timing down without doing the front setback and the left foot crossover like you would traditionally see. Yeah, it's interesting. It was something that definitely caught my eye when when I was watching. Um, But, you know, some more teams that I'm kind of looking at too. Uh, Penn State, their pitching staff, I think you got to watch out for the pitchers that they have in the circle for them. Really two strikeout pitchers between Kylie Lingenfelter and Bailey Park. I think that they've been throwing really well this year. They've actually been limiting the walks, which I think is something that has gotten to them in the past. Um, But they've got those strikeout numbers up, and they've been limiting those walks. But outside of the Big Ten, Jenny, who else are you uh, keeping an eye on? Well, as soon as you said um, mid-major roundup, I went straight to Toy Story and thought about Woody and Buzz. So for me, there were taglines for each of these. So in the American, somebody poisoned the water hole because at Wichita State, Addison Bernard was out all weekend. So it's not, we don't know if it's sickness or if it's injury. 
but we know that they're going to need her down the stretch. So they've got to make sure that they get her back. Sydney McKinney, you guys, her batting average fell this week. She's now hitting a measly 629. So for me, horrible. We don't need that. (laughs) Dry your eyes. It's hard. But at the same time, they're still doing well. They were 4 0 on the weekend. Um, In the Big West, you're my favorite deputy. Fullerton selected to be the repeat as Big West champs this year. Um, They've been challenging themselves, but they need to clean up their defense. In the Sun Belt, reach for the sky because they have played a ton of Power Five competition this year. And I am so impressed with what they're trying to do to build that RPI to give themselves a chance to host postseason. And in the Mountain West, this town ain't big enough for the two of us because Nevada is putting up a huge run to try to give themselves the edge over Boise State, who was picked to win the conference. They are 17-2 and on the year. They went 5-0 and on the weekend with four shutouts. I really like their pitching staff. Carly Brown, the transfer from BYU. Blake Kraft, a complete game win over Michigan. And Tyra Cleary. Who else you see, Maddie? I, I just can't get over the fact that we had a whole Toy Story-themed section in here. Uh, I just, really quick, my my son's most prized possession yesterday was his woody band-aid that he had on his knee for the teeny tiniest little scrape but he was showing off his woody band-aid to everybody so there's your non-softball fact um, of the day but uh just really quick i wanted to give a couple of shout outs to some other teams uh, marshall beat Pitt this past weekend a walk off uh, by autumn owen who is top 10 in the country in home run she has 10 already on the season but that was marshall's first win over a power five since march of 2020 and also central arkansas taken down arkansas last night in Bogle Park. Jordan Johnson threw phenomenal for Central Arkansas. A lot of upspin, really crafty work in the corners. Um, I thought she did a great job holding down that Razorback offense. One more quick thing to note is that actually Nebraska and Wichita State play each other this weekend. So one of their win streaks is going to come to an end. Uh, they play each other in the Shocker Classic. Awesome job, ladies. Um, I don't know. That might be uh, some competition. I, actually, I don't think there's any uh, competition for the name of the podcast. It might, maybe it, it is a Toy Story or there's a Buzz and Woody make an appearance on on the pod or uh, Reach for the Sky. I, I don't know. We've, we've got some Jenny good ones. Roundup. I mean, Jenny dominated that, like 100 points to Jenny creativity. That was awesome. That was awesome. And it's perfect timing because it leads us right into one of our favorite segments, which is Shag and Stats. So I'm going to jump in first uh, and talk a little bit about Olivia Donardo from Arizona. Off the charts, y'all. Um, she hit 857. She was 13 for 15. 13 for 15. That is incredible. She had a uh, slug over 1,200, uh, OPS over 2,100. Um, seven doubles, five RBIs, and she's just a freshman. So look for her to be bopping uh, some balls out of the yard as well in that big matchup against uh, ASU. So Kayla, what do you got? Yeah, I'm going to keep it in the pack because we didn't really get to touch on them. Uh, but Washington, I got to talk about Bailey Klingler. Bailey Klingler is the toughest player to strike out in the country. She is averaging one strikeout for every 73 at bat. So she's got 1K on the season so far. Uh, really impressive. That's why she's one of the most dominant hitters and one of the hardest hitters to get out. And bonus stat number three on that list is Kylie Sand from Rutgers. So bringing it full circle from that Big Ten action. Uh, Amanda, what's your shagging stat? Good stuff, Kayla. My shagging stat's about the Auburn pitching staff. In 133 innings pitched, they've only walked 15 batters and compare that to their 197 strikeouts. It's pretty impressive. What's your stat, Danielle? Uh, I'm going with a little uh, Georgina Korak. So last year around this time, Georgina Korak was leading college softball with a strikeout to walk ratio of 25.40, which is obviously impressive. But for every one walk, she's striking out 25. Through the same time this year, Alana Vodder, 
with Stanford is posting a strikeout to walkout ratio of 48.00 and Peyton Gottschall of Tennessee is sporting 42.00. So it's pretty incredible. And I want to say that I got Maddie next. I'm stealing Jenny's thunder. I think Jenny was supposed to go next, but I'm going to go ahead and go next. Um, yeah, that, so interesting. When we, I think we've talked about Sydney McKinney and the amazing hit streak that she was on. But when I looked at the top five leaders and hits uh, throughout the season so far, two of those top five were actually freshmen. Uh, Reagan Johnson from Arkansas has 34 hits, and Viviana Martinez uh, from Texas has 33 hits. So I think it's pretty cool to be all the way up there at the top just being a freshman. And Jenny, you're next. What do you got? Perfect. I will hit cleanup on this one. I love it. And of course, it's about hitters. You know, we all know that Oklahoma is a really good hitting team. That is not in question. But when I looked at the conference, the Big 12 right now, you you alluded to it, Michelle, when you talked about the Big 12 and our number five spot in the lineup. But did you guys know that they own, the Big 12 owns the first three spots in the rankings in batting average? Oklahoma's hitting 391. Texas is hitting 383. And Oklahoma State is third in the country at 381. Right now, the Big 12 has the bats going. Nice. Interested to see, really interested how Texas hits against Montana Fouts this weekend. I think they play Alabama two times, and I can't wait to see that matchup. Okay, number nine is going to the mailbag. Just a couple of questions here. Interesting one, and I think a lot of people talk about this, especially on Twitter. Um, so I don't know who wants to handle this one first, but we we're at Jacobs 8. We I don't, maybe I'm saying that wrong, but will the women's college world series ever move out of Oklahoma? I think each conference should host on a rotating basis. Jenny, what are your thoughts? Without being rude, heck no. I'm sorry. There's a thing about tradition. And when you think Women's College World Series, you think Oklahoma City. And when you think about where you want to win a national championship, it is in that stadium. I played my senior year in the Olympic Stadium in Columbus, Georgia, and it didn't feel right. And that was my senior year. So I went out playing in the place that didn't feel right. Now we won a national championship. So of course that's okay. But at the same time, when you think women's college world series, you think Oklahoma city, Michelle, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I think Oklahoma City, I think the state of Oklahoma has embraced the sport. It's where USA Softball's headquarters, is where the Softball Hall of Fame, USA Softball Hall of Fame is. Um, but I think if it were to ever be challenged to move out, we need stadiums. We need structures in other states, right? It's a, our, our sport. We, we need municipalities. We need counties and cities to build stadiums for women's sports, just like we do for men's sports. So, um, I, you know, if, if, if it's ever going to be challenged, but at this point, I don't see that happening. Um, but we do need more stadiums. What do you think? Kayla? Shout out to the Hoover Met this summer for putting on a really good softball atmosphere for the world games in Birmingham. They hosted team USA and they packed the stadium. The Birmingham fans support was fantastic for that. And uh, they turned a baseball stadium into a softball stadium and it was legit. So it would take something like that to, to get it out of Oklahoma city. Yeah. As a reminder to all the fans, I mean, there's just not very many softball stadiums that can hold 10 to 12,000 fans um, like what the women's college world series can now. And already sells out, already needs to be bigger, already needs more seats. Okay. One more. I thought this was interesting. This is actually from April of 2022, but we're going to pull it out of the mailbag right now. Do you think chronic pull hitters simply have better vision than most? And would they benefit from moving up in the box, Maddie? And what do you think about that? Are you calling me out as a chronic pull hitter? Is that why you came to me? I just thought you might be opinionated about I, this one. I, 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 did, I did like to pull the ball. Um, I, 
you know, I was somebody that didn't like to move around a bunch in the box. The only place that I did move, though, because I like to pull the ball was I put my toes on the chalk line because I knew pitchers were going to try to challenge me and like establish that inside part of the zone. But that's exactly where I wanted them to throw it. So they were kind of playing into my hand in that sense. Do I do I think I have better vision? I'd like to think so as I'm sitting here with my glasses on. So I don't I don't know if I do. But um, I. Moving up in the box, I think people like to do that, whether they're facing like a drop ball pitcher or maybe somebody that doesn't have as much velocity on it. Um, but personally, I just like to toe up on the chalk line and have the pitchers just play into my game plan. What I, we've got a lot of pitchers on here, though, so I'm curious, to, like when somebody starts moving up in the box, do you change your game plan? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I do. I mean, I'm going to attack them a little bit differently. I think it's easier to hit a rise ball if you're up in the box. Um, so you have to throw a little bit lower and you're more susceptible to change in velocity. So, you know, you're more susceptible to a change up and coming underneath the hands at 70 miles an hour. So uh, definitely different ways to play. Um, now, Jenny, I was going to say, I know you've pulled a few balls in your lifetime. Do you think that your vision is better? My vision is definitely not better. And I'm not moving up in the box. I mean, you have so little time. And when you're facing that heat, I had to hit off Michelle Smith for crying out loud. That girl throws absolute fire and Move up against Michelle Smith? Heck no. I barely hit it when I was standing middle of the box. I'm not moving up to try to miss or get ahead of her movement. I need all the time I can get to try to barrel it up. I think a big thing for hitters too, when you talk about dead pull hitters or hitters that pull a lot, they tend to like break their wrists and they get their barrel out front more. And that's more of a mechanical fix too, is that being a little bit over aggressive, being a little bit early. So rather than moving up in the box, I think you just got to change your timing, be more patient with your load, see the ball a little bit deeper, kind of go through all of those fixes before you start to change where you are in the box. Cause like you heard, you just heard from two incredible hitters and they didn't like to move because they were comfortable where they are. And I think we all establish that place in the box where we feel comfortable you don't really want to rattle that. I do think sometimes, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, I think we see hitters that maybe have a problem opening up or flying open with their front side. They'll start with a closed stance, so almost like their back is turned towards the pitcher. So that way, when they open up, they're a little bit more straight to the ball. So I think that there are more adjustments that you can make other than just moving up in the box. And I tell you what, the best way to attack a dead pull hitter is develop a nasty changeup. I'm sorry, we do not see enough good changeups in our game. We see kids that love to throw velocity, but we do not see the nasty changeup to counteract that speed to be able to attack a dead ball hitter. I'm going to be devil's advocate. I loved hitting the changeup, Jenny. Give me some changeups. Give me some rise balls. I'm swinging. Me I'm too, swinging. Maddie. I only saw one changeup against Lisa Fernandez. I hit it out and I never saw another changeup. Well, there you go. I mean, if you're hitting the ball out off of Lisa Fernandez, especially her changeup, then uh, you must hit changeups pretty good. And you put it in the pocket then. Uh, so excellent, excellent episode, ladies. Um, everybody that is out there listening, we appreciate you uh Hanging with us, remember to follow us on um, the Twitterverse at, at Seven Innings Podcast. And um, Amanda will be uh, every week uh, putting some uh, polls out there and, and asking for suggestions. And um, so we always love some of the feedback, but we appreciate y'all being with us as we travel on the road to the Women's College World Series.